0: If you go back, like to our ancestors, thousands and thousands of years ago, I envision this dialogue when somebody invented, you know, the ability to create fire, and one group saying, "This is great; it'll keep us warm. We can cook food." Another group saying, "This is terrible; it's gonna, you know, wipe out our villages and is a threat to us." I think our natural human reaction. It's first to fear a technology and then to get comfortable with it. We, as people, are creating the technology. We can shape the way it's used, and there are some serious challenges to deal with, but it's it's about us dealing with those challenges as humans and as Mm. government and business leaders. It's not an issue of the technology driving what we do.
1: Hello, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking and boutique consulting services. And for more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. So my guest today, um, and I've just got off uh, recording this um, uh, podcast with him, is Paul Doherty, Paul is the Chief Technology and Innovation Officer for global consulting giant Accenture. Accenture is a a pretty remarkable company. And uh, Paul has a really interesting role overseeing their technology strategy, research, and development. He's responsible for developing their businesses and emerging technologies. uh, He brought them into cloud, AI, blockchain. He also serves as the Chairman of the Board of Directors at Avenard. He's on the Board of Directors of Girls Who Code and the Computer History Museum, uh, as well as on the Advisory Board for Computer Science and Engineering at the University of Michigan and Block Center for Technology and Society at Carnegie Mellon. Um, Lots of other things. He's also, and this is why I got him on the podcast, he's co-author of a superb and highly influential book ...called Human and Machine... ...Reimagining Work in the Age of AI. Paul wrote it with James Wilson... ...who's uh, one of his colleagues at Accenture... ...and um, we talked about some bits around humans and machines... ...but we got into a little bit around politics... ...we got into a little bit about education... Um, ...kind of future humanity... ...which I think was a good, good conversation... And uh, I was left really wanting to spend the rest of the day with Paul uh, as he uh, opens up this new uh, innovation lab in San Francisco. Um, Anyway, hope you enjoy the episode. I suppose my first question, Paul, is is could you just um, perhaps not just describe your role at Accenture, but I'm just kind of thinking about all the different things that you do as you go on your sort of various tours around the world and the people you interact with. And the influential bodies and and people, how do you see your your work and your role
0: yeah it's a, a great question, and it's uh, sometimes hard to understand so I've got the role of Chief Technology officer as well as Chief Innovation officer at accenture and uh it's it's just a, a I have to say a super fun and fulfilling role i uh, really love uh, all aspects of the role and my role is really to if you combine those two roles you know Accenture is a digital company, a technology company, helping our clients apply technology to improve and change the way the world works and lives. And my role is to be the one looking ahead at the new innovations, the new technologies that are coming to make sure we're, we're building that capability and taking advantage of all the new technology in the capabilities we're building, the assets we're developing, and all the projects that we're doing with clients. So as part of that, I run our research and development uh, organization, which is uh, known as Accenture Labs, seven research labs around the world. I'm responsible for all of our partnerships with all of our tech partners, from the startups to, you know, the big tech companies you know, the Google, Amazon's, Microsoft, SAP, Salesforce, and companies like that. And. Um, and uh, also responsible for launching our new businesses, which probably gets us to today's call. I launched our cloud business a number of years ago, our mobility business, and also launched and uh, launched our artificial intelligence business.
1: So, so that I mean that's a fascinating role. And how do you decide which things, if you like, to take most seriously? Because there's a lot of innovation in the world and there's a lot you could be focused on but there's only a limited amount of resources and attention how do you how do you decide where to kind of um, focus and concentrate
0: yeah that is it is a tough challenge you know and i think every company grapples with this so what we did is we developed something that we call our innovation architecture which is a way to knit together all these different groups we have we're 469,000 people across accenture working all parts of the world and all different industries and technologies. And our innovation architecture is a way to knit together everything from our very advanced thought leadership and research to our hands-on applied research in our labs to our investments in Accenture Ventures, our corporate venture capital capability, to, you know, to many other things in Accenture so that we can look at an idea and trace it through and decide when is, it time, when is it time to study it, when is it time to get hands-on, when is it time to take it to a client and do more with it. An example is like quantum computing, which we've been looking at, uh, from a research perspective, for over ten years studying quantum computing, about three you know, about five years ago, we started actually doing some work, more hands-on work in quantum. About three years ago, we made an investment in a quantum computing company uh, to, you know, to get closer to the technology. And two years ago, we did our first client project using quantum you know, quantum computing. So that's an example of, of how we you know study uh, areas, you know, monitor them over time, and then decide when to place different types of bets. To get closer to technology.
1: Mm. No, it's so it's it's so interesting, and I, I you know, I, I, it strikes me that um, you know th- this whole idea of of the future of work. And I was saying this at a conference the other day, and I actually um, was quoting. Um, uh, Pierre, your uh, legendary CEO, who um, you know, I know, sadly um, uh, passed away. But uh, I was quoting him um, just the last week, and 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 really talking about how he sort of repositioned Accenture as a as a sort of virtual digital organisation. And um, what I'd like to know is, you know, the, the book that you wrote. Um, Paul, um, what what motivated you to to start writing the book?
0: Yeah, a no, so it, um, it started really three years ago. Uh, my co-author Jim Wilson, who's one of our uh, top researchers, he leads our technology research. Jim and I were sitting down, and we'd just written an article called um, uh, that, that talked about you know, jobs in the future uh, of AI. And The title of it was the jobs AI will create. In that article, uh, when we wrote it, became MIT Sloan Management's top downloaded article of the year. Uh, So we said, hey, there's something here. (laughs) There's a lot of interest Mm -hmm. in this topic. And um, the point we were making that article was that um, people – that there was – three years ago we started this, there was a one-sided view of AI, we thought, which was a lot of negatives vibes about it. There was the Terminator vibe around AI is going to come take over the world, you know, and we're going to be working mm-hmm. for, the, for the robot overlords. And there's this, this, there's this conception that was, I think, widely held that AI is just going to eliminate all the jobs. And we really strongly don't believe that's true and didn't believe that was true back then. So Jim and I launched out on an effort to study it deeper. We launched a primary research project with 1,500 organizations around the world to study how they were using AI talk talked to workers and executives at the company to look at the impact, and we did a lot of you know, primary and secondary research along different domains. And the result was the book Human Plus Machine that, uh, that we came out with, which really makes the case that, yes, there's going to be a massive disruption to many people as increasing forms of automation like AI do disrupt jobs. But there's a, there's an upside in this, in that the real we the real value and the real way that business leaders need to look at AI is to look at the human plus part of it, which is how we augment and improve people at all skill levels, you know, to use technology AI in particular to do their job more effectively and give them increased career opportunity.
1: Mm. And why do you think we've 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 sort of started with that? Um, and I think it's kind of um, declining, but this very dystopian view of what AI and humans in work would look like. I mean, why why is is why has that been the sort of going in narrative? Do you think?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's human nature. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's- if you go back, like, to the, uh, you know, to, to our, to our ancestors thousands and thousands of years ago, I envision this dialogue when somebody invented, you know, the ability to create fire and one group saying, this is great. It'll keep us warm. We can cook food. Another group saying, this is terrible. It's going to, you know, wipe out our villages and there's a threat to us. I think our natural human reaction is first to fear a technology and then to get comfortable with it. And if you look at, mm. you know, the uh, industrial age, the uh, uh, in, in, you know, the reaction to you know every form of technology that we've seen, I think that's the reaction. So I think that's what we saw with AI because it's I think it's a human thing, but at the end of the day, uh, AI is no different than than the fire or uh, the steam engine or uh, you know. Um, PC computing or many other things we've created, which is it's something we humans, we yeah, we as people are creating the technology. We can shape the way it's used. And there are some serious challenges to deal with. But it's, it's about us dealing with those challenges as humans and as mm. government and business leaders. It's not an issue of the technology driving what we do.
1: Yeah. No, it's, and it's so funny you said that about fire, because I'd, I'd underlined in, in your book one of the lines at the end, which was the underlying assumption. Going back was that the machines and and humans are competitors, and I put down the fire and the wheel. So I've got this sort of image in my mind as you speak that you know somebody invents the wheel long long time ago, and there's a sort of debate as to whether this is a good idea or a bad idea. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: think think of all the jobs that were put out of you know lost (laughs) through the wheel. (laughs) People carrying around. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Uh, the same. It's it's true. Technology. Tech. The definition of technology is it's things that humans you know we invent. To make our lives better, you know, basically, mm. what technology? You know, what technology is? It's tools, and every tool has an impact on us, on how we live, and has the impl- impact on generally simplifying or mm. improving life in some way. So AI is really no different.
1: Yeah, and that's the interesting part, isn't it? I think there's a, there's a sort of sense that there's a kind of set future that we're just going to move into, rather than a future that we affect, shape, influence and and i think one of the things that comes through in your in your wonderful book and an important book is this this idea is that we have agency in this and that actually uh, particularly the organisations that are getting this right um see a uh, it's a kind of multiplier effect isn't it and i just wondered if you had a particular example that you really like of when of when the human and machine works in the way that you envisage and what the the results of that are
0: yeah i think this agency point is a a really big point that that is a key message that we're trying to get across the book is is the how ai is used is really up to us and how we do it we wrote the book as a as a handbook you know we 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 saw a, a gap in the literature out there and and uh, understanding, we saw the opportunity to create human plus machine. The book as a guide to help people navigate this in the right way and, and help people make the right decisions. You know, example. Um, I'll give you one. You know, one uh, one good example is uh, is uh, Tesla recently with Elon Musk. If you're following the, the rollout of his new mm. car the production problems, uh, you know, Elon's commented on AI in a lot of different ways. But I think one of his best quotes. Uh, was uh, uh, it was humans? Uh, you know, I've concluded humans are underrated, <laughs> <was> what Elon <laughs> said. And what of it was uh, mm. that he, they had over-automated the, the Tesla production process with industrial robots uh, without enough human, you know, human-controlled human intervention, and they and that was causing production problems and, and delays in their factories. They went and introduced you know many more humans along with different types of robots that were more you know collaborative and flexible, and that led mm. to much better productivity in the factory. We saw, we write in the book, uh, that's a more recent example, but in the book we write about the Mercedes E-Class factory, which did the same thing. They went from 80% automation and 20% human labor in their E-Class, uh, producing their E-Class cars, and they flipped it to 80% human, 20% machine, mm. because they realized that, um, that, uh, that was what were, was required to produce the, the customization, the optionality in the vehicles. And I think that's an important point because one of the implications to us as consumers in the age of AI is increased individualization and personalization of products. That's one thing AI mm. is, is allowing companies to do and allowing us to do. And in that era, it's going to require businesses to make their own processes, like the factories I just talked about, or their customer service or sales processes, or personalized indi- individual. And that's, again, going to create opportunity not just for the technology but for people who can use AI and technology in the right way to provide those customized services and experiences to their customers.
1: Mm. Mm. And what do you think the best way for organizations let's say people in in retail or manufacturing is is to if you like reassure people because as we've said you know when fire arrives the wheel arrives there's a sort of there's the there's the people who like it there is the people who feel threatened by it and um, how do how should leadership in in a, an organization if you like kind of reassure the workforce um that that, that this isn't about um removing you it's about amplifying the value of the organization
0: yeah well I'll, I'll answer the question but then we should come back and talk about the the risks and and people who will be displaced because i think that that's something mm. i want to come back to to there there definitely will be people displaced in every organization and, and in society as a whole it is a, a serious thing we've got to come you know come back and talk about around the reskilling for that but the the issue for but but generally speaking the, in companies, I think we're going to see a lot of opportunity, you know, to, uh, to redeploy, reskill people. And I think to your, to answer your question, I think the best thing is to be transparent. And I'll give you two examples. There was one, um, uh, company, I won't, I can't name the company at this moment, but a couple of years ago came out and said, uh, uh, in a investor meeting that because of AI and automation, they, they anticipated not needing half their workforce in a couple of mm. years. And it created tremendous turmoil in the company. Sure. Uh, and at the same time, another CEO in a different industry came out and said, you know, we're concerned that we see all this, and he said this publicly to his employees, he said, we see all these impacts of technology, and we're concerned that uh, it may impact a lot of the 250,000 of you that work for our company. So we're going to invest in training for all of you, not knowing mm. which of you will be part of the company long-term and, and not, but we believe, you know, we, we need to move everybody forward it's almost the same message you look at a different way. In one case, being very transparent and doing the right thing, which is starting to reskill the people, which is the biggest thing we need to do for the age of AI. But there's, there's an element of this that's about leadership vision and, and really looking at what the right answer is that you're moving toward and then transparency with people. And, Back to the first example I cited, uh, the company that said they don't need half the workforce. I think that was the wrong statement. Like they didn't need half the workforce to do the business up today. They probably need about the same number of people they need going forward, you know, to mm-hmm. achieve their strategy a few years out from now. And they just communicated in a horrible way and um, and didn't didn't articulate the right vision. And with human plus machine, we're, we have this idea of reimagining that we're trying to get leaders to express, which is you need to think about. Where you're taking your business, what those new jobs and roles look like, and start to communicate that to your people, as well as build a learning platform to help your people evolve and uh, mm. move into the new roles.
1: Yeah, and and that point about reskilling. I mean, there was that study from the World Economic Forum, I think about six months ago. Um, you know, huge study looking at what's what is the future of work, and and what struck me was that what they were saying was that. That there will be more jobs than than uh, probably we've got people for. That the issue really is is this reskilling and retraining, probably at a level that we've not experienced. I don't know. I mean, I grew up in Manchester, which was where the industrial revolution started, and you know, for twenty or thirty years, apparently it was it was kind of chaos, and I think that's probably happening in a much more um, short period it's not so much decades but a numbers of years but it's that sort of re-skilling at at such a kind of level and have you seen um examples where you feel that people have grasped that maybe at an educational level or at an organizational level
0: (sighs) Starting to, but I think this is where we have a lot of a lot more work to do. I think that the big issue, the big issue, and I, I I call it the grand challenge for our generation right now mm-hmm. is reskilling, as we already have a lot of uh, you know kind of social and political issues with you know with um, what's happened with people who have been left behind uh, to, to some extent by uh, some of what's happened with the economy and technology, mm-hmm. and we have to make sure that we're not exacerbating that. That we're using technology and AI in a way to close the gap. but I think that's possible. And uh, the World Economic Forum study you mentioned is a good one. They, they, their numbers were roughly saying that by over the next five years, AI will, uh, will eliminate 75 million jobs around the world and will create, I think, 125 million mm. new jobs. I think were the numbers. So a 50 million job surplus. The problem is those 75 million displaced, you know, to, as you, Said well, aren't necessarily the ones who can do the 125 million new jobs. So I think this is this is the area we don't have a great answer to yet. And it's um, mm. I've been talking a lot with governments and educators and businesses about it. And all three share responsibility. And we've got to you know think about things in a new way. And we can dig mm. into this more uh, if you like. But one specific point that I've been making to business executives is this isn't a nice to have and something because you feel good or you know what you want to you know, uh, you want to do a feel-good thing for, for people who are going to be leaving your company or who are left behind, it's a competitive imperative for business to rescale people. Just one quick example of why that's true. Uh, when, uh, some work we're doing for an oil company, we're automating the drilling process uh, for you know, drilling, extracting you know, oil from the ground in this case. And it's a oil field services technicians who used, used to work with their hands and think of wheels and pumps and things that they operated as they were operating drilling equipment. Now, with the reimagined job there, we have sensors underground that are feeding back information on the drill. We have a gaming engine that's used to create a visualization on a screen of what the drill's encountering underground. The torque, the tension, the heat, that's all visualizing colors, and, and it looks like a real image of the animated image of the drill on the screen, so that the technician can avoid breakage, increase productivity, and operate it far more effectively. You need his physical knowledge as a technician, and you need his digital skills to operate this new gaming platform essentially that's just providing the visualization if, if, if that company if, if, if that's the way the job changes and I think it will uh, in, in many companies are you going to be able to go hire a gaming engine enabled visualization literate physical oil field services engineer <laughs> I mm, would argue yeah. you no know, that doesn't exist unless you create it and mm. when we look at in talking the book we look at these new jobs that AI is creating it's very specific customized roles that are changing so fast to your point because AI is impacting these jobs so fast. The market won't create the jobs, so you better reskill your workforce to do it. Those who invest in learning and reskilling platforms will have a competitive advantage because they'll be developing the talent they need for the future.
1: Mm. And it seems like, you know, at at a kind of government level, um, I I don't see as much activity as I I think would be needed. I mean, you have some exceptions like Singapore, which as a fund of sixty thousand dollars for everybody from when they're born as a lifelong learning fund. Um, you know, you see, you know, specific examples of organizations who are investing, but you know, this kind of systemic retraining and reskilling Um, I suppose governments are are sort of trying to get their heads around it. Um, And I just wondered what you thought. I've got somebody called Andrew Yang coming on a um, a kind of crazy thing we've got in a few few weeks called Digital Workplace 24, which is a 24-hour round-the-world Digital Workplace Festival. And he's coming on, standing as U.S. President next year. And his, his platform is around universal basic income and technology disruption. And and I just wondered whether you have a view on um, whether it's certainly catching on as an idea, this idea that we need to give people, if you like, a kind of foundation of financial security at some level while all of this uh, change happens.
0: Yeah, I, um this is specifically on Andrew Yang and, and UBI. I think he's, uh, uh, I think he's doing a great service in raising awareness and attention to the issue. Um, so, uh, so it's just great you're having him on the on the program. Uh, the The ch- challenge with UBI is, um, I think it's it's uh, it's it's a part of, it it's a part of a solution, but it's not the whole solution, and it's it's not. Uh, and you got to think about it very carefully. I don't believe we mm. need a UBI, universal basic income for every person. What we need are targeted uh, investments in people who need the new skills. And that's mm. why I, I, quest, I challenge the word universal in UBI because I don't think it's universal. There's many people who are just fine, uh, yeah. are going to be fine or are going to rely on existing methods. We really need to target the assistance. And the assistance really needs to be about education and investment in people, not income. Because I think the big thing we, the big thing that's sometimes overlooked with work, is its meaning and purpose and dignity that it provides mm-hmm. people with. And just writing people a check isn't going to resolve that unless we also deal with the education and reskilling. So I, I believe that we do need increased investment in people, some form of redistribution for people who need the skills. But I don't think universal is the right way mm-hmm. to do it. And I think if we're only thinking about the check, we're gonna we're gonna have a big problem because we need to also restructure education, other get government incentives, and corporate learning. A couple of things that I've been talking to governments about that I believe we need to do is we need to relook at tax policy. Tax policy currently in many countries incends capital and physical plants. And this mm. incends human investment because it's expense versus capitalized and depreciated. There's mm. some basic changes I think we need to look at the tax code. In this era of rapid job change, why do we have incentives around industrial age, things like capital, plant, and equipment, rather than incentivizing the investment, you know, to the tax code investment in people. That's a change. I've been talking to, you know, to some governments about we need to restructure education grants, which are most education incentives in countries are geared at young people entering the workforce. We need to look at redistributing government aid so it's distributed throughout the career at different points when people need uh, reinforcement, new skills throughout their career because they're going incre- to encounter the need for learning and chal- you know, challenges and uh, skilling throughout their career. And there's other things, but those are some of the examples we need to look at, and, it, and the business educators and government need to collaborate in a way like they haven't done before to, mm-hmm. you know, to solve some of these issues, which is a tough thing, but you know, something we're trying to do uh, in our work with, um, through you know, different forms that we, we're involved with with corporate leaders and government leaders to try to bring attention mm-hmm. to these issues.
1: Yeah, no, that's so that's so true. And um, I mean, one of the one of the topics that that you sort of uh, coin or describe in in your book is this idea of the missing middle. Um, could you just say a little bit more about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, we we didn't intend for this to be such a you know when we started we didn't realize this would be such a central theme, but it did become a big part of the book, a number of chapters. And it's really become a lot of our discussion and further research and work that we're still doing. So the missing middle is making the point that, uh, well, first of all, we, we, we did a lot of research to look to look at what the new jobs look like. Because we believed unless we could show people what the characteristics of these new jobs, they wouldn't be able to reimagine their business, look to the new jobs, and start to reskill their people. So the missing middle is our attempt to define what the new jobs of the future look like at this early stage. And it's not perfect, but I think it's uh directionally correct Road, uh, roadmap missing the missing part of missing middle means it was missing from a lot of the discussion people weren 't yet thinking or talking enough about the new jobs that exist and middle means it 's the middle in between humans and machines and if I could rename artificial intelligence i 'd rename it to collaborative intelligence because it 's not about artificial mm-hmm. it 's about creating it 's combining the best machine intelligence with, with human intelligence in a collaborative mm-hmm. way so the missing middle is a framework for collaborative intelligence and, and defining the jobs, you know, the collaborative intelligence required for the jobs of the future. We believe there are you know, tens of millions of jobs that make up the new future. And there's, there's six categories. I won't go through them all in the, because of you know, time here. But there, one of the things that's unanticipated is we, we outlined three categories of jobs that um, are, are completely new and novel that are needed because of how AI works. For example, trainers. And I'm not talking about t- trainers who tag data for machine learning algorithms. I'm talking about behavioral and personality trainers for virtual agents, which is a job needed at scale in many organizations to make sure that as AI becomes your brand, as your chatbot represents your company, and AI literally is your brand, how do you make sure your brand is represented properly? It's not a technology skill, it's a behavioral and human skill in shaping the AI to the right tone, the right values, the right purpose, the right way to answer questions, et cetera. That's one example of many. And I believe that will be the at-scale job not too many years from now. Just like in 1996, before the inter- you know, internet was at scale, nobody anticipated millions of search engine optimizers, web designers, uh, eBay, uh, eBay uh, commerce merchants, GoDaddy web, you know, uh, web hosts, etc. In the same way that we didn't anticipate those jobs 20 years ago at the start of the internet, there's going to be you know, tens of millions of jobs in these types of categories that are created as we look at the scaling out of AI.
1: Mm. Yeah, and um, while, while you were talking, I was just sort of um, thinking about um, you. You'd, when you were at Davos, you you talked about the conversations you'd had with Will I Am about this idea of kind of digital um, owning your own digital data, and um, what struck me in thinking that through the idea that. And I'm not sure whether this is what will happen, but I think it would be a very positive thing if it did, which is that people start to get more ownership and autonomy over the data that they create. And I'm just kind of thinking that idea through. And if that was happening, I suppose each individual would need to, if you like, increase their own digital literacy, because you would have assets, I mean we all have digital assets at the moment that that we really don't understand. And and but if if there was a value placed on them, which I think is what the kind of Will I Am and Jaron Lanier ideas are around, is we would then have to start to understand what the value of those things we understand what the value of our physical assets are what would it be like if we started to understand our digital assets and i think this is going to become something that could i could see building up some momentum and would bringing it back to the conversation that we're we're having in a way start to raise people's understanding of how to work more intelligently and more collaboratively with technology at the moment we're sort of disempowered by our data because it you know we sign off privacy statements and our data is is sucked away from us and no, we don't know what we had we don't know where it goes you know ads pop up and i think there's a real movement um to to return that i'm not sure if any of that made any sense or whether it, it, it kind of has some it sparks any thoughts for you paul
0: yeah, no, I think this is second to reskilling, I think this is the this, the next biggest challenge we've got of our genera of our generation. It's a big it's a big thing to solve, but it, I'd call it broadly digital digital identity. And Will mm. I am you mentioned Will I Am his, uh, people know Will I Am as Black Eyed Peas and Pop Star, but he's also the founder of I of uh, IM Plus, which is a technology company, that's a successful technology entrepreneur, so he's got a lot of great songs mm-hmm. and he's got this unique ability as a pop star and technologist to, to really nail co- you know concepts clearly so he came mm-hmm. up with the term identity identity, data t which is yeah. your, your data is your identity identity and i think it brilliantly mm-hmm. captures this issue of digital identity we face you know look we live in a digital economy right now and we lack a framework for individual identity and and data access if, if we were if we we're starting today if you and i were laying out, you know, the, the, the uh, a whiteboard, the foundation of a, of a new digital economy. The first thing I'm sure we would do is look at identity as part yeah, of it. But yeah. We built a digital economy and we've ignored identity and data mm. access in the way it's evolved. And we need to re-engineer identity, digital identity, and ownership of our identity and mm. um, and ownership of certain data back into the digital economy. And that's, I, I think that's a big challenge we face. We're doing a lot of work in this area. It could be... Be a whole another podcast on uh, <laughs> yeah. on this that I think is very interesting, and that's that's going to be a big deal because because it, the reason it's such a big deal is that trust is the foundation of success going forward for AI mm-hmm. uh, because AI is AI depends on data, and if let's say I'm developing and this is an example, let's look at a company called Neuropace. It's a medical implant uh, that you literally implant in ep- epilepsy patients mm-hmm. to reduce seizure rate for me to and it uses machine learning and ai and, and things like that to actually intercept uh, seizures so you know, so how am i i have to have a lot of trust in that company how my data is being used and how that device works sure. to use that uh, amazon key delivering products into your home uh, literally you give them access to your keys to your home so they can place products into your home i have, to have a lot of trust in amazon so a company's ability to develop trust is going to be the key ingredient to their success going forward with AI and at the heart of trust is, uh, you know, my own identity and whether I'm comfortable that my data and my information is being used right. And With AI companies are going to be just like Amazon getting into your home, Europe your mm. getting into your body. Companies are going to be getting increasingly uh, invasive in the information they want to deliver the quid pro quo of more personalized, individualized services for you. And those that mm. develop trust are going to be successful. Those that that um, devalue trust or violate trust are going to be left behind going forward. And that's why I think we're seeing a great shaking out that's starting to happen, and the, these frameworks around identity and data ownership and data access, I think, are really critical going forward. Yeah,
1: yeah and, um, I mean, one of the things that I like about this concept of digital identity and, and, and ownership is that irrespective of, of what your economic value is as a human being, every citizen will have some assets that they own um that then they can choose or not choose to to sell and and they will have some agency in it um so so just kind of rolling forward let let's say that um organizations and governments um really as i think they're hopefully starting to and and helped on by you know important contributions like yours um let's say they start to get this right in in 10 years lo- time what will we see more of that that is sort of thin on the ground now in terms of this collaboration and and working together of of humans and machines
0: i think we'll see some dramatic changes in experience and in the, in the way we experience things and if i had to single out one word it'd be experience and if i would single out one category of jobs and things that i think is going to be massive in the future it's experience shapers those who can combine an understanding of human behavior and technology uh we call it experience design and goes under under terms like that today but i think that feels going to broaden and expand dramatically going forward because we're the, the technolo- this is technology that's changing our human experience. It's not just a, you know, a new device we're selling somebody, and that shaping is going to be key. So, you're gonna, so but to my point, I guess, on the experience, I think 10 years from now, um, we're going to be, I think, very comfortable with, uh, with our own personal wingman, uh, AI-enabled assistant That's going to know a lot about us, that we're going to trust mm. a great deal, that's going to help us be a lot better. In a lot more productive way. You know, think about what you do right now with our, with the super technology we have. We we stand, and, you know, we kind of walk down the street typing with our thumbs on a little piece of plastic, bumping into street signs because we're not looking up mm. to try to access information. It's tremendously powerful this technology we have, but it's it's incredibly primitive, and we're subservient to, to this technology and using it in such an ineffective way right now. That AI, I think, is going to unleash. An ability for us to interact in a much more human fashion so i would look out 10 years and say and this is an, an indictment on any particular device company but i i think you know the whole smartphone concept is a transitional technology smartphones mm-hmm. have only been around 10 years but look out 10 years from now i think we're gonna you know the smartphone probably will still exist but it won't be the be-all end-all that we spend hours of our day using we'll be interacting in much more human natural ways with technology and that'll that'll impact you know many businesses will impact consumers And it'll have big implications on who's successful going forward. So I I don't think the future is about a thousand different companies with their own digital voice and digital personality and a tower of babble that we as humans have to try to navigate and talk to, you know, a thousand or 10,000 different personal agents. I think we're going to have some companies, you know, competing to be your assistant. And that'll be, you know, that'll be a very interesting future. And this idea of identity and ownership becomes a very important issue mm. as we look at how that future plays out. And and to me, that creates a whole new generation of companies. The current, all the people we think are the current of the current winners in technology, I would say, came out of the app economy, the app economy, mm. which was the mo- the smartphone plus 4G created the app economy. And everybody would think of, you know, it created uh, Google Maps online, it created Uber, it created Airbnb all the companies we think of, uh, Instagram, all these great services, I think it, I think it's uh, success going forward is going to be very different. It's going to be a 5G mm. world plus AI in the experience economy. And the companies that are successful going forward, are going to be a lot different mm. than what we've seen. Mm.
1: And I think one of the ideas that's been sort of mooted, but I don't, personally thinks going to happen, and um, I'd be interested, you know, as we come towards the end to find out what you think, is that there's a view that, you know, well, the technology just gets better, and, and then we don't have to work. But th- the way I feel about it is that work is sort of fundamental to to human, and you said it's, it gives us meaning, purpose. I think work can come in lots of different shapes and forms, but, you know, you know it's something that, that brings meaning to our life, and is, is something we should... F- we, we, You know, I can't envisage a world without work. Um, maybe I'm missing something.
0: Yeah, and I'm getting out of my wheelhouse on this one a little bit, but I'll, right. give, you, I'll give you my my thoughts on it. Um, you know, the idea of like nine to five, five days a week, every, you know, the way we think of work today, I think will be reshaped dramatically. I think it already has, you know, the mm-hmm. work, uh, you know technology has allowed work to be much more pervasive uh, you know, and, and work happens in a lot of different ways. But still, generally, we think nine to five and, you know traditional work. And I think that'll change dramatically. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, – if you think about the impact of the technology, uh, one of the things we haven't talked about, a lot of the impact – AI is going to, I think, create whole new industries around service professions, around care, to deal with things like aging demographics, mental health issues, you, know, you name it, healthcare. There's so many unmet needs in the care areas that AI will mm. create that I think that's going to create – new professions that we haven't thought of, but they might not be the standard work we think of, but people applying their skills in new ways. So I think work will transform um, dramatically. I think we need to think about how that impacts organizations and such, but I, I don't know all the answers there. I'm reading a lot and studying that a lot right mm-hmm. now. I think that's more like a 10-year plus change rather than a you know, now to five-year change mm-hmm. in terms of that broad restructuring. But uh, I think we do need to rethink mm. that as we get out a little further.
1: so just just as as we end, what what particular book are you reading at the moment that's that's making an impact on you?'ll
0: you, <laughs> I'll, I'll, give you uh, I'll give you two. one is uh, uh, one, uh, one of my favorite authors is a science fiction author named Neil Stevenson. There's a quote from him mm-hmm. in the front piece of my book. Uh, he wrote snow Crash, invented the term uh, cyberspace, etc.
1: Oh oh God, I wondered where that quote came from.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh he's a he's a phenomenal uh science fiction visionary and writer. And he just wrote a uh uh a new book called uh, uh dodo. It's about it's about combines AI and quantum computing and time travel and a variety of things, looking at how wow. things, you know might uh might happen. that's just science fiction, but it's very entertaining and gets into topics I like. So that's uh a very interesting book. The other one I'd really recommend that I think is is a great book right now. It's been around. This one's been around for a little while, but it's called Age of Discovery, which I'm just making my, my way through, which is looking at the current period we're living in, making the analogy that this is like the change we went through from the Middle Ages to the Renaissance and drawing mm. the parallels back and forth. It's a fascinating set of parallels around everything from the social and political issues we see to uh, economic issues we see to, you know, to technologies that, that changed the landscape then. And it's a mm. uh, fascinating you know, thought exercise on on what you know kind of where that went and what we see some of the same changes uh, going forward in our society
1: great well i'll look, I'll look forward to um I've, I've heard of the second book um, haven't read it but i know i've, I've had it re- heard it recommended and um thanks for the reference to to neil stevenson so so a question i'd love to end with paul is um w- so what's a what's a perfect working day for you What's what's happened if you, at the end of the day you say that was just as as good as it gets? Maybe it was just a, a great day at Davos, or I don't know. But um, what, what's what are the ingredients of a perfect working day for you?
0: Yeah, to me it's a mix. You know, I get I kind of a, and I've got a really fun job. I i have the privilege to. It's a great privilege to have the role I have working at an organization like Accenture areas that I've got uh, responsibility for a perfect day for me. I think today might be a perfect day' <laughs> it's what I'm shaping up for a great discussion great discussion with you in the morning. I love the thought provoking discussions like the one we're having now uh, i'm going to be meeting with a lot of our people across all levels, from you know, new people to senior people at Accenture and a new innovation hub we're launching here in San Francisco. and I love spending time with our people and hearing what's on their minds. That's how I learn, you know, what's happening. So it's great for me and the kind of, I could kind of could share, and teach, you know, share and teach with them a little bit of, you know, what I'm, uh, what I'm up to. And then we have a big uh, client event. We're going to bring together a lot of our clients and tech industry influencers and tech partners together for a big event uh, in the evening, talking about technology direction and where it's going. And that mix I, I just love. I love spending time, thought provoking conversations like this, talking mm-hmm. to our people and then, Bringing together uh, groups, uh, you know, externally and sharing and sharing and debating and discussing some of these uh, some of these ideas. Great, well, thank you Can so I make much. Make one other quick point. Yes, yeah. Can I make one other quick point uh, that I, I forgot to mention along the way. Just on this whole issue of reskilling, just to show our commitment to it. Um, and I said earlier that's the grand challenge of our generation. I just wanted to make sure that uh, that the. Audience understands that, uh, we're donating all the proceeds of Human Plus Machine and all the languages it's translated into. It's in four now with three others coming, uh, to, to nonprofits that are dealing with mid-career reskilling. So all the profits don't go to me. They don't go to Accenture. They go to nonprofits supporting mid-career reskilling because we think that is the grand challenge. We think they're underfunded. We've already been able to have a you know, good impact with that. And I just wanted to, you know, to make the point that that's, uh, that's what we're doing with, uh, Human Plus Machine
1: yeah and thank you so much for mentioning that paul because i'd made a note to myself which i'd completely forgotten to um uh, make the point that you're donating your net royalties to fund education and retraining programs and we'll put that in the uh, the show notes paul and um thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for a fascinating conversation and and uh, i, I want to spend the rest of the day with you going to the new lab in san francisco that's <laughs> yeah, a great, great start to my day here on the West Coast. Uh, great conversation, Paul. Thank you, thank you so much, Paul. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research, and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well. Until next time.